I'm Lauren, and I'm a local Dharma leader at Sims. And this morning, I'm going to uh, be the teacher and give a talk. Today is the day after Earth Day, as some of you may know. And we're also focusing on dukkha this month, the, the three characteristics. Uh, and the characteristic we're focusing on this month is dukkha. So I am going to speak on Earth Dukkha, Climate Dukkha, this morning. Um, and before I start, I'm going to say a land acknowledgement, which seemed really important to do, given that we're talking about the crisis in the earth. So um, we're acknowledging that our Sunday sit is taking place on the traditional unceded land of the Duwamish and other Coast Salish tribes who have been stewards of this land for many centuries before European settlement. We honor all indigenous peoples' beliefs, cultural heritage, their relationship with the land, the knowledge of their elders, and the spirit of the ancient ones. We also acknowledge our Buddhist ancestors who have cared for, practiced, and handed down the Buddhist teachings for over 2,000 years. And responding to the earth really connects with our practice, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. So... Uh, just a recap for those of you who might be new, for the months of April, May, and June, <clears throat> Sims is focusing on the Buddha's teachings related to the three characteristics of all phenomena. And as many of you know, those are dukkha, suffering, and Nietzsche, impermanence, and anatta, not self. Today, in honor of Earth and the Earth Day, I'm going to talk about the dukkha created by climate the climate crisis, and how we can understand it and work with it using the Buddha's teachings. From clarity to insight, we can take the most appropriate and effective action to transform the earth's suffering and our own suffering. The climate crisis we are in right now calls for our practice. It's easy to move into a mind state of overwhelm when we hear the depressing facts. The changing weather patterns causing extreme weather, disastrous fires, and flooding. And I'm reminded of the Seattle heat wave just a few years ago in which there were three days in a row of 100-degree-plus heat for the first time on record. So that's for the last 150 years. Um, In the total history of Seattle, of record-keeping, there have only been 400 over 100 degree days. So that's pretty striking. And I think if you were here in Seattle or the Northwest on June 28, 2021, when in Seattle it reached 108 degrees um, and broke a record, you will remember that day. I certainly do. In addition to weather um, catastrophes, Uh, There is the fact that every 
year 20,000 species go extinct extinct and the rate is accelerating i'm not going to go into um all the uh, hard facts because i know you're aware of a lot of them they're in the news all the time but i do want to talk about <clears throat> uh, an example from my own experience uh, and i'm sharing it because i know all of you have examples too where the um, what's happening to the earth, to our planet, is hitting home. So my my experience <clears throat> that comes to mind is that um, since the early 1990s, I've been regularly taking my binoculars with me on my walks along the shore in West Seattle, and the number and variety of shorebirds and ducks has dropped significantly just in 30 years. Varieties I used to see regularly, I never see now. And an example is I used to see uh, large rafts of surf scoter, white wing scoter, and black scoter. And now I never see any white wing or black scoter. The only thing I see is a few surf scoters. So it's just in that short a time, I have really seen changes. And that's just an example. It makes me feel very sad to see the loss in such a short time. And it fills me with foreboding. And I don't want to think about what it all means. I think each one of us has many experiences we could share in which the Earth's crisis comes home to us. The pain, the grief, the anger, fear, overwhelm. I think we're all feeling this in our own way. I'm a member of uh, Sims Climate Action Group, and there are about three dozen on our mailing list. About six, six to eight of us show up to the monthly Zoom meetings on a regular basis. We're a Buddhist action group, and so we look for guidance from the Dharma on how to contemplate, respond, and take action. And this year, we read a book by Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, and two nuns who edited and put put it together because Thich Nhat Hanh died, but they took his writings. Um, so it's it's he's the author, and it was published this year. Um, we found that this book was really helpful to us. We've been meeting for five years, and we keep looking for things to sustain us and help us frame this. Um, situation because it's hard to work with it and it's hard to look at it and it's hard not to be overwhelmed. We found that the framing of the situation inspired in this book inspired us and helped us hold the climate crisis with more wholesome energy and wisdom and see how we could transform the difficulties of suffering into joy, happiness and peace in ourselves as well as work toward building community collective awakening and engaged action. And this morning I'm going to share some of these ideas with you and you will see that the fundamental Buddhist teachings that we talked about last week, uh, which could help us work with just dukkha in general, that is the four, the four noble truths and the four foundations of mindfulness and the three characteristics, they're all key to working with saving the planet also. It's easy to turn away from this crisis and to see only the suffering in it. 
But Thich Nhat Hanh says we must learn the art of happiness and the art of suffering in order to move forward into action and transformation. We can't panic, no matter how dire the circumstances. When I say this, I think of the story of Patakara. She eventually became a nun in the Buddhist time. Her story is in the suttas, and it is also retold with a commentary by Anna Douglas, who is a co-founder of Spirit Rock. Um, and it's in the book, The Hidden Lamp, Stories from 25 Centuries of Awakened Women. Just a minute, I'm going to find it here. So this is the story of Patakara. In a single day, Patakara experienced the deaths from her whole family. Her husband was bitten by a poisonous snake. Her newborn child was carried off by a hawk. Her older child drowned in a river. And her brother, mother, and father were killed when their house collapsed. Mad with grief, she tore off her clothes and wandered naked in circles for a long time until she stumbled into the place where the Buddha was teaching. The monks wanted to send her away, but the Buddha stopped them and said to her, Sister, recover your presence of mind. At these words, she regained her sanity and knew she was naked. And someone offered her some clothes. The Buddha said, I can't help you. No one can be secure hiding it. No one can be a secure hiding place from suffering. Knowing this, a wise person walks the path of awakening. So Patakara learned that all human beings die, and it's better to see the truth of impermanence, even for just a moment, this is what the Buddha told her, than to live for a hundred years and not know it. Anna Douglas um has a commentary about the story in this book, and she says, when we're told the truth, no matter how painful, it helps us to settle down. Patakara was no longer the sorry victim of her fate, but the clear-eyed knower of truth. We are more than our grief or loss. We have our presence of mind. So that, to me, is actually a key to how to approach what's happening with our earth right now that we do need to look at the truth. We need to remember we're more than our grief and our loss. We need to cultivate our presence of mind. And that presence of mind is developed through meditation and the specific practices that are described in the four foundations of mindfulness. Mindfulness of the body, of feeling tones, which are pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, mindfulness of the mind and mindfulness of dhammas. Mindfulness, in turn, enables us to turn toward and stay with the noble truth of suffering, our suffering and the planet's suffering. So meditation is essential for being able to turn toward and stay with difficult emotions that come up in the face of what appears as and feels like a climate catastrophe. The word climate catastrophe is used to give urgency to the task at hand and is a call to action. 
coming from a mind state of calm and well-being, however, is what is needed to achieve clarity and come from a place of wise action or clarity and be able to act with wise action. It's interesting that Thich Nhat Hanh wrote the book Miracle of Mindfulness as a manual for the school of youth social workers. He was training during the war in Vietnam. They were working in villages in the middle of battles. And he said these young social workers were trained in mindfulness to help them stay healthy, focused, and compassionate, and to nourish their aspiration so they could have enough joy and peace to continue their work. Isn't that what we need to also to stay with the reality of our difficult situation right now and continue our practice in our own dangerous circumstances? Don't we need to stay healthy, focused, and compassionate? And don't we need to nourish our aspiration and feel joy and peace so we can continue our work? Meditation can help us stay in the midst of challenge long enough to see fear and confusion transformed into insight. Another story illustrates this. Thich Nhat Hanh tells how he and his friends in the Buddhist peace movement in 1976 were in Singapore undercover working to help save the lives of refugees who were escaping Vietnam in small boats the activists had rented three large boats to rescue the people from the small boats because they were adrift in the sea, the rough seas of, off Malaysia. And the plan was that the larger boats would take them to other countries for asylum. But the Malaysian government refused to let the rescue ships enter Malaysian waters. Now, Thich Nhat Hanh and his group had been practicing sitting and walking meditation and eating their meals in silence and concentration during this whole time because they felt that uh, their mindfulness was needed to be able to handle this uh, rescue. They believed that the lives of many people depended on their practice of mindfulness. They were trying to figure out how to rescue the people on the small boats when the Singapore police raided their office space in the middle of the night and ordered the group to leave the country within 24 hours. Thich Nhat Hanh said there were more problems than it seemed possible to solve in 24 hours. He said he would never forget every second of sitting meditation, every breath, and every step he took in mindfulness through the night. At around four in the morning, he said, I finally got the insight. We could appeal to the French ambassador. And that's what happened. That was the key to saving the lives of the boat people. He said that he believed that if they hadn't had the practice of meditation, they would easily have been overwhelmed by suffering. I wanted to recount this dramatic, fairly long story because to me it illustrates how meditation helps us keep our presence of mind even in extreme circumstances. And when practical worldly steps are called for, for insights can come through meditation, through doing nothing. We can get the answer to what we need to do. 
with the current challenges brought about by global warming, individual and systemic changes are called for. A lot of concrete actions need to take place. How does each one of us take an active part? Meditation and the Eightfold Path can support us. What is the wise view? This uh, to what is the wise way to view this planet, Dika? What is each of our wise intention as we respond to the dukkha? And what will our wise action be? We need to realize and we need to actualize. And both of these take presence of mind. I've spoken about um, impermanence. It's not hard to see how this characteristic relates to the suffering of the planet right now, but it may be hard to accept. We're actually right now in the middle of the sixth mass extinction. Well, I don't know if we're in the middle of it, but there have been five other mass extinctions in the history of the Earth. As part of our Buddhist Buddhist practice, we're called on to practice with this difficult, noble truth of suffering, to acknowledge it and to not add the second arrow of fear. As Patakara discovered, Impermanence is a universal cause of suffering. The knowledge of this universality can actually bring a compassionate connection and sense that we belong to the community of all beings. It can even move us to feel our connection with the natural world and the cosmos. Understanding that we're not alone helps us go forward and less, with less separation and less fear. And this moves us towards the third characteristic, not self. Dick Han emphasizes that we need to change our way of thinking and seeing. We need to be aware of the two levels of reality or truth, conventional truth and ultimate truth, so that we can see through our illusions and know what is the right action to take. Conventional thinking and seeing involves daily life functioning and abstract thinking, where we differentiate things and experience uh, things and experiences, and uh, we use concepts and labels. Ultimate truth transcends ideas of separate selves, separate species, and life and death. He talks about this is Thich Nhat Hanh. He gives the example of a cloud. And he says, you may think the cloud just floats there and is the same cloud, but it's not true. A cloud is very active and full of energy. It's made of crystals of ice or water, and there's a lot of interaction between all the trillions of crystals. It's an ever-changing process. And for humans, it's the same. It is distressful to hold on to our separate self. It's a lonely place and leads to insecurity and fear. It disconnects us from our true selves and from our planet. But we are a process, just like the cloud is a process. And um, Thich Nhat Hanh, I think I wrote about Yeah, okay, so um, disconnects us from our, I'm trying to get the transition here. Um, yes, the idea is that we have to change our concept to ourselves as well as our way of seeing things outside of us and see that 
we are not solid forms and everything is connected. So one Buddhist nun activist, Ayasanta Chita, who leads a weekend retreat, who led a re- weekend retreat that I attended a few weeks ago, emphasizes the need to develop new ways of thinking, which are non-abstract and non-linear. And this is holistic, intuitive thinking. And it's the kind of thinking we are involved in when we um, try to embody our knowing of direct experience that we cultivate in our Buddhist practice. The knowing without a knower, which is a process, a flow. This is the kind of knowing that Thich Nhat Hanh calls interbeing. We enter our. We've used our linear thinking in an effort to control our environment, and we've had a lot of successes. But now we're in need of a collective awakening because this worldview is not sustainable. And Ayasanta Cheetah says, it looks like our minds need to be blown open. So, just as an example of a way that a group of people have responded with a new way of seeing to meet this challenge, to work to um, solve these problems that we're dealing with and feel our interconnection and see impermanence and work with it. Um, these are the principles that Thich Nhat Hanh's Plum Village right now uses there to train uh, their people to meet the challenge of the earth, uh, what's happening on earth. And these principles are, um, I think we can all look at them and keep them in mind. So one is reverence for life, and the principle in terms of like a precept is, I touch what is sacred and spiritual in my own life every day. Number two is deep simplicity. I am aware aware that happiness depends on my mental attitude and not on external conditions, and that I can live happily in the present moment by remembering that I already have more than enough conditions to be happy. Three is nourishment and healing. I will look deeply into how I consume food, consume sense impressions, use my volition and my consciousness. I'm determined not to try to cover up loneliness, anxiety, or other suffering by losing myself in consumption. I will contemplate interbeing and the effects of consumption on the collective body. The fourth is loving speech and deep listening, Um, promoting reconciliation. I will investigate my anger. I know that our roots uh, of anger lie in wrong perceptions and of the suffering in myself and others. And that one is really hard when you're dealing with groups you see destroying the earth you know it that loving speech and deep listening is really important the last one true love i am committed to cultivating the four elements of true love for my greater happiness and the greater happiness of others loving kindness compassion joy and inclusiveness so the these are some um ideas that have helped us in 
the Climate Action Group. And in response to reading this book and listening, um, contemplating what Thich Nhat Hanh's message is, we thought, what can we do for the Sangha, the Sim Sangha? You know, how can we actually act on this? And um, one of our members brought an article about um, healing, I think it's called forest healing or something like that. Anyway, it was an article about um, some people who helped people who were in the Paradise, California fire two years ago, where their whole, everything was destroyed. And they had a, a meeting in the forest. They had a, um, let's see, I'll get, I'll get where they described it. Um, people recovering from the trauma of that fire. And it's called forest therapy. It really comes from forest bathing that originated in Japan, which uh, did actual scientific studies on the effects, the healing effects of the forest, the nature, the trees on human beings, um, not necessarily in trauma. But they, they designed this for people who were suffering from the trauma. And they took they met outside by a lake, but it was in the Paradise area. And... Um, it described how they were, they meditated and they just connected with nature. And it really inspired us. Um, one of the things, activities they did is they asked the people to imagine your heart joining with the heartbeat of the earth or this place. And it was set up so that it could be a safe container for their pain. And it was really moving the um, the way that people spoke about the trauma of what they had witnessed and experienced and how that was very helpful. And it described their first time doing it. And so we were inspired by that. And we thought, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh says that we need to con- connect with connection with not self with with accepting impermanence but also having a wholesome um joyful hopeful place to go from so we decided that we would have um a a peaceful uh uh silent um walk in uh, Seward Park, and we went up into the forest part of Super, Seward Park, and it was not a very sunny, warm day, so there was hardly anybody there, and there were about um, 10 of us, and it was very simple. We had a little meeting to begin with. We walked quietly down the paths in a line together. We didn't say anything. We met once and did a meditation and it was just amazing that the effects that that connection to that old growth forest um, had on us. And it's very simple. It's just like what we did this morning where we just sit and know you're sitting. Just walk and know you're walking. And there was this healing feeling of walking through the forest. So we're going to have another one and we're going to invite all of you everyone in the sangha to to meet us and go for a silent walk 
that's coming up. There, we'll have an announcement about it. That will be uh, Saturday, June 10th. And um, that's our first offering because we believe you do have to start from a healing, nurturing place. And you have to maintain a view that is wholesome and, and um, connected. So I'll just tell you a few uh, things about our climate action group in case some of you are interested. Um, we began five years ago in May 2018, and we meet monthly every second Tuesday on Zoom from 7 to 8.30. We've hosted a variety of events, including discussions, movie nights, uh, a forum series, which we co-hosted with the Tibetan Buddhist Sangha. And last year, we organized a sponsored and sponsored a concert fundraiser for a climate project that raised more than $10,000 to support green buildings now in Seattle. Um, our, our, our attitude is that we share a dedication to spiritual practice and trying to integrate the Buddhist teachings into our daily lives, how to live ethically and kind, as kindly as possible in ways that, uh, so we care for ourselves, each other, our community, and the world. And each of us is called to different issues. So we don't have any rule, you know, we're all going to do this. It's like each of us has a special um, leaning. And each of us must find ways to engage that are meaningful and nurturing. So um, if you're interested in that, we're on the website uh, on Sim's website under Engaged Buddhism. And Iris Antman is our leader, our fearless leader, and her uh, her uh, email address is on the website. And you can sign up to receive our newsletter and announcement of meetings and things like that if you're interested. We also have a list of resources on Sim's website and um, yeah, so if you're interested, we invite you to um, join us in any way you'd like, and maybe you'll come walk through the forest with us. So as a closing, I will offer Meta to the Earth. And let's just take a moment to be quiet and think of the Earth and our hearts wishes for the earth and I'll ring the bell. May all wounds to forests, rivers, deserts, oceans, all wounds to mother earth be lovingly restored to bountiful health. May all places be held sacred May all beings be cherished. May we all abide in peace and well-being, awaken and be free. So thank you for being here and reflecting on our practice and the situation.
of the earth. And um, we hope you'll join us for breakout rooms and discussion. And I'm just going to leave the prompt open. You can talk about anything that comes up for you um, regarding this situation. Um, anything you're doing or want to do or feelings you have or experiences that are are you connect with the earth or yeah what whatever you'd like um so if you need to leave now we say goodbye thanks for joining us for this part by peter okay so um we have a few minutes to share out if anyone would like to share what you discussed or ask questions or anything. Be nice to have a little bit of sharing out. I shared in my group how much I love that line. Sister, find your <laughs> presence of mind. And and I said that it was uh, it was an encouraging statement because it was also saying it's always available to us, even when we're so lost in the whatever the catastrophe that we feel is, a, you know, the, yeah. crisis, the difficulty. Yeah. Find that, you know, sister, go find that presence of mind. And I just really love that. It's so universally hopeful and helpful. So. Thanks for the reminder of that. Yes, thank you, Suze, for sharing that out. Anybody else want to share what you talked about in the group? Ju Judith. Well, we were we were talking a lot about um, our our attitudes and how mm -hmm. it's it's difficult to feel hopeful and and you get sunk and and I remembered. Um, watching, remember way back, Al Gore's uh, An Inconvenient Truth, and something he said really struck me in that that I've never forgotten. He said, a lot of people go from denial to despair, and neither one is helpful. Yeah, that's, that's good. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's one of the reasons this, uh, the way Thich Nhat Hanh framed the situation was so, um, you know, it just connected with, it didn't connect with despair. It was so many ways to be present and to, to, um, yeah, it, it really has helped us. I mean, we just discovered, a, a, you know, not too long ago, but all of us have felt that it's, um, it's the way we need to, uh, be. And, um, I remember in one of the, the stories that the nun shared, who is Sister True Dedication, she was, when she started, um, going to uh participating at Plum Village she was a full-time um reporter for some high-powered news um TV or communications 
uh, group and she um, was really having a hard time because she had to work so hard and it, all her time just seemed to be in action and, uh, you know, pressure and all this. And um, another nun said to her, um, tell me um, how you get to work and tell me what your schedule is like. And she told her and she said, well, get off the bus um, a block early and just walk through the park or the, you know, it was a very small park to work. Just get off the bus and walk. And it was a very short time, she said. And it just made such a difference in her life. So I think that first, um, that first principle that, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about, which is um, the sacred, connect with the sacred. And I'm just looking for my <laughs> my paper here. Yeah, does anybody else remember it? It's connect with the sacred and it's here somewhere. Oh, there it is. Okay. I touch what is sacred and spiritual in my own life every day. But that includes nature, you know. Sometimes the nature is really important part of it. So we all have our daily practices, but don't forget um, touching, listening, feeling what is nature. So, um, yeah. Okay. Well, I hope some of you will join us in Seward Park. Um, on June 10th, because it's really, it only, t- you know, it's only an hour we were together. It's a very short time. And it was just amazing how um, inspiring, you know, it kind of food for the soul and spirit and body and action just to do that simple thing. So I hope some of you will be able to enjoy us, uh, join us, and I hope um, others of you will do your own. I'm sure living in this beautiful Northwest, we do have opportunities, and maybe we can share our own experiences with our connection to nature and how it uh, nurtures us and helps us move from realization to action. Helps us realize too. Okay. We we also were reminded in our group that for some folks, it's not easy to get out into the woods, but the connection with nature can be through your window out in the garden, seeing the buds on the trees. What, you know, we don't have, we don't have to, you know, go somewhere necessarily. Yes. Just that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's like reading poetry, listening to music that connects you, looking at the night sky. You never know. Okay, well, thank you for being here. And for today, thank you for being here. So nice to see everyone. Hope to see you again next week or sometime soon. Take care.